Heavenly Father, thank you for your promise, which is sure and certain. As we reflect this morning on what you have promised us and all the implications of the firmness of that promise, may it come home to us with flesh clarity and may it indeed encourage us on our Christian journey, we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, in 2004, a film came out called A Very Long Engagement. Uh, it's set in France near the end of World War I. A young man called Manetch uh, gets engaged just prior to being listed in the army. Uh, he is sent to the deadly frontline trenches of the Somme and then mysteriously disappears. Uh, his fiancée receives the information that he may have survived. That she refuses to give up hope, and she embarks on a relentless search for the truth. In due course, she discovers that he was one of five soldiers who, out of desperation, shot themselves to be relieved of their duty. Having been caught, a court-martial had condemned them to face near certain death in the no-man's land between the German and the French lines. Incredibly, it transpired that against all odds, he had survived. However, when she eventually discovers his whereabouts, he is found to be suffering from amnesia, and he doesn't even recognize her face. The promise of a marriage held out to this woman the prospect of future happiness. The power of this promise drove this woman on a relentless search for her fiancé. But in the end, she suffered the heartache of a promise unfulfilled. It brings out to us the power of a promise. Because a promise has the power to energize us. A promise has a future fulfillment in view. It assures us that something we value will become ours at some point future points in time. It may be a spouse. It may be a holiday. It may be a reward for doing the chores in the home. A promise energizes us. A promise pulls us through times of hardship or exertion for the benefit of what waits beyond. Hence, a promise can galvanize us. It can keep us moving forward. A promise gives us hope. But not only does a promise have the power to energize us, a promise also has the power to devastate us if it's broken or if it's unfulfilled. Our hopes are dashed. Uh, some hope broken promises aren't a big deal, but others leave us devastated with a deep and a lasting wound. And therefore we learn to ask this question, can I trust this person's promise. And that is an important question, and never more so than when we come to the Christian faith, because at the heart of the Christian faith is a promise. Uh, through Christ, God promises something that we don't yet have. It's in the future. The full fulfillment of it awaits us. Uh, of course, the, the Christian faith does deliver some immediate benefits to us now in this life, faith in Christ, it instantly changes our status before God. Uh, we move 
from being condemned enemies to loved children. Now, we are granted the Holy Spirit to help and to strengthen us now. But that is only the start of the great adventure with God when we put our trust in Christ. God's promise points us to the future. And it assures us that something of great value in due course will become ours. But the point is this. We don't yet have it. It's in the future. The final fulfillment of God's promise occurs, of course, at the return of Christ. When he will renew this entire world, this creation. It's the promise, therefore, of a better life beyond this life. It's the promise, therefore, of a joyful life in God's presence when we enjoy the friendship with our Creator for which we were made. It's the promise of what the Bible calls heaven or the new creation, life in the world to come. It's the promise of life to the full, without the pain and without the sadness which so often mars our enjoyment of life now. Do you see? It's a high-stake promise. It concerns our eternal destiny. And therefore the question, can God's promise be trusted? It's a very, very important question to ask. Some say God's promise can't be trusted. Uh, The Australian media tycoon, uh, multimillionaire Kerry Packer, uh, was one example of this. Uh, During his life, he suffered from eight heart attacks. After one of them, in 1990, he was left clinically dead for six minutes before being revived. And he commented afterwards, I've been to the other side. I didn't die for long, but it was long enough for me. And let me tell you, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. In Kerry Packer's view, there's nothing there. There's no life beyond this life. Effectively, He's declaring that the promise of the Christian faith is just hocus-pocus. There's nothing in the future. And yet the writer of this letter to the Hebrews begs to differ. Uh, If you recall, uh, he is writing to Christians in the 1st century AD, and these Christians are starting to lose sight of what God has promised them in Christ. Uh, They're facing hardships, uh, they're facing persecution for their faith, and they're starting now to edge towards the exit door away from faith in Christ. Uh, We saw last week, uh, they're already spiritually lethargic. Uh, They've become spiritual sloths. They've stopped taking God's word seriously. And the writer we saw last week has been warning them, if they continue down this path, they are in danger, grave danger, of completely falling away from Christ. And he said to them, that is the worst thing you can ever possibly do. That is the road to ruin the road to eternal ruin. And so, he's exhorted them. Keep going and keep growing as Christians. He's called them to renewed diligence, to faith and patience in God's promise. Otherwise, they will lose out and they'll never get what God has promised. Look at verse 11. Uh, We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, In order to make your hope sure, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And with this exhortation, he now moves from a word of warning to a word of encouragement. 
And he addresses this question, why? Why should we exercise faith and patience in what God has promised? And that is a very important question for us to answer. Uh, It's important if we already have Christian faith. It's also important if we are investigating the Christian faith. So, let me tell you where we're going to go this morning before we dive into the detail. Uh, We're going to see two things primarily. Firstly, the case for God's promise being trustworthy. A promise guaranteed by an oath. And secondly, the benefits of God's promise being trustworthy. A steadfast hope while we wait. That's where we're going. Okay, so firstly, a case for God's promise being trustworthy. God has made a promise. You have to go back to Genesis 12. And there we see God making a promise of blessing. He's promised Abraham many descendants. He's promised Abraham that they would live under God's blessing in a land of their own. And he's promised that through them, God's blessing would ultimately come to all the nations of the world. Uh, Many years after making this promise, the first of many steps in its fulfillment came to pass. Uh, Abraham initially was childless, but then after many years waiting, God starts to fulfill his promise. He gives him a child. Isaac, of course. Later, God tests Abraham and he calls him to sacrifice his one and only child. And incredibly, Abraham, the great man of faith, moves to actually fulfill what God has asked him to do. He puts his child on the altar. And God stops at the last minute and says, Stop! I know now that you would have gone through with that. I know now that you were, would have been faithful. God was testing him. And at that point, God does something amazing. God reaffirms his promise to Abraham with an oath. Genesis chapter 22. God says this to Abraham whilst he's still on the mountain. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And that's what Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 is referring to. Look at it again. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. Do you see? God hasn't just made a promise. He has gone further than that. He has guaranteed it by an oath. Why does somebody take an oath? Well, it's to affirm that what they are saying is true. Unfortunately, we live in a world where people are not always truthful. I don't know if you've ever been called up for jury service, uh, but if you have, uh, when they call a witness, of course the witness has to be asked to swear an oath. And effectively, the witness uh, is called to say that they will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And therefore, they're taking an oath. The function of an oath is to resolve something conclusively. It's to remove any doubt that what is being said is true. An oath acts like, if you like, a guarantee. Look at verse 16. Uh, Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. 
And incredibly, what God has done is that he has taken an oath. He has taken an oath to underwrite, to guarantee his promise. He takes the step of assuring us that what he's promised can be trusted, that he's not going to change his mind. Look at verse 17. Uh, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. Now, sadly, uh, even under oath, some people lie. Uh, High-profile cases of this uh, perjury abound. Uh, In the UK, we had um, a UK novelist and uh, politician, Geoffrey Archer, who committed perjury. Uh, More recently, we've had the example of the American uh, Tour de France cyclist, now disgraced, uh, Lance Armstrong. He lied under oath. They were under oath, but it didn't stop them lying. So does God going under oath make any difference? When we get to verse 18, it seems to anticipate this objection. Uh, Look at verse 18. God did this, that is, he gave the oath, so that my two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, and it goes on and we'll look at what it says. But do you see what it's saying? It is impossible for God to lie. To lie would be for God to deny his very own character, his very self. He who promised is faithful. And in God's case, therefore, there is not the slightest chance that he will be convicted for perjury. God has gone on the record with two unchangeable things. What are they? The promise and then the oath. Do you see what he's saying? I'm not going to change my mind. My purposes aren't going to change You're not going to die and find that there is nothing there. Now, if we've been scarred by broken promises, uh, we may struggle to trust God's promise. Uh, We may have developed a protective shell of distrust in promises. But God will never break his promise. For God, a promise is a promise. In 1970, Eduarda Obara fell ill when she was just a 16-year-old girl. Her family rushed her to hospital where she slipped into a coma caused by her diabetes. Before losing consciousness, Eduarda asked her mother and her family to never leave her side. And they promised that they would keep their words to her. And then she slipped into the coma. Uh, Edwarda was brought back to the family home. And her family never did leave her side. Uh, She was turned every two hours uh, to keep her from developing bed sores. Uh, She was given insulin and she was fed food through a tube. Uh, She was read to. She had music played to her. And she was never without company. Her mother even slept in the same room as her. And in 2008, her mother died. And she died in the same room she'd shared with Edward and her daughter since she slipped into a coma 38 years earlier. Her mother had kept her promise. And after her mother died, Edward's sister took over. And she quit her job. And finally, in 2012, Edward herself died. 
after spending more than four decades in a coma. What an incredible story. A deeply touching story. Is there not something passionately moving about such dedication to keeping a promise? For Edwarda's family, a promise was a promise, and it was something they kept. And such is the case with God. A promise is a promise. And God is unmovably dedicated to keeping his promise. And he's guaranteed it with an oath. There is not the slightest chance that God is not going to honor his promise. So we've seen the case, therefore, firstly, for God's promise being trustworthy. Now let's move on to see the benefits of God's promise being trustworthy, how this should help us now, in life now. So, um, God promise to Abraham was made uh, in 1500 BC, but it was not just for him and his descendants then. It was also for us now. Because the fulfillment of God's promise made to Abraham and his descendants wasn't ultimately about the settlement of those descendants in a scrubby piece of real estate in the Middle East. It wasn't just about that. That was just a foreshadowing of a greater fulfillment of that promise still in the future. It was, of course, about the settlement of God's people in the new creation in the world to come. And when God makes an oath, what does he want to assure and who does he want to assure? Uh, verse 16 tells us. Verse 16 tells us that he wants to assure the heirs of the promise. It's referring to us, to Christians. Look again at verse 16. Uh, God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what he was promised. And of course, now, as people who live after the era of Christ's life on earth, we know that the fulfillment of God's promise centers on the person of Jesus. And we now know that to benefit from God's promise requires us to put our faith in Jesus. And therefore the heirs of the promise are those who, through faith in Jesus, respond to God's promise. So, what are the implications for life now? And we're going to see two. Firstly, a great encouragement to wait, and secondly, a great security while we wait. So, firstly, a great encouragement to wait. In verse 15, uh, we are told, Abraham, he waited patiently. And then in verse 12, we are told to follow his example. Look again at verse 12. Uh, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. To imitate Abraham. We do not yet have what God has promised us in Christ. We don't have everything yet. And therefore we need to keep trusting in Christ now to have faith and patience. It's worth asking the question, why does God guarantee his promise with an oath? I mean, surely, if anyone can be trusted... It's God. Does God really need to make an oath in addition to his promise? A promise from God shouldn't need a guarantee. Why did he do it? 
And the answer is this. It's to help you and it's to help, to help me now. God knows what we're like. God knows that we have struggles. God knows we have doubts in our hearts. And he wants to help us to overcome those doubts. And so what does he do? He gives us his absolutely certain guarantee. He goes on oath. He swears by himself that he will do what he has promised. And he does that for the sake of you and for the sake of me. He wants to help us to respond in faith and to respond with patience. He wants to energize us to keep going and to keep growing as Christians. He wants to encourage us now as we wait. Look at verse 18. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. And there it is. He wants to encourage us. Keep faithful now, keep growing, keep going as a Christian. So the first implication of God's promise is that it's a great encouragement to wait. Secondly, it is a great security while we wait. Uh, because God's promises can be trusted, it gives us a solid foundation for life now. We have a steadfast hope while we wait uh, the picture used in verse 19, if you noticed, was that of our Christian anchor, Christian hope being like an anchor. Uh, look at verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The Christian hope is an anchor for the soul. Uh, the importance of a firm and secure anchor came home in a fresh way to the people of Newcastle, Newcastle just up the coast from here, on the night of the 25th of May, at 1974. A storm had been gathering during the day. Then at 10 p.m., uh, the Newcastle weather station issued a gale warning to the ships anchored off the city. Uh, most of the ships took the hint, and by about midnight, only three ships remained. One of them was the Norwegian bulk carrier, the Signa. Uh, two hours earlier, as the wind speeds had been increasing, the ship had started to drag its anchor. However, uh, the 57-year-old Captain Lund hadn't bothered dropping the ship's second anchor. He didn't think it was necessary. Instead, he went to bed, as all good captains do in such situations. And he told his first officer to wake him if the anchor started to drag again. And so, as the other ships around them left the area, uh, the Cigna sat tight swinging at its single anchor whilst the wind and the sea rose around it. Uh, by 1 a.m., the anchor let go, and the ship was then adrift. And by now, the winds were gusting at 130 kilometers an hour. Uh, the captain ordered full speed ahead and full port rudder, and finally decided to head for the open sea, but it was too late. Uh, full of ballast water, the signal was pushed sideways by the storm, bobbing up and down on the angry swell like a cork in a tub. And the ship ran aground on Stockholm Beach. And its decaying hulk was to remain there rusting for decades as a testimony to its captain's folly. In a storm, a firm and a secure anchor is vital. An anchor 
can determine the entire destiny of a ship and its crew. And every life, therefore, and every soul needs an anchor, something that it will hold it fast, something that defines its purpose, something that gives it hope. For some people today, their soul's anchor is their career, their soul's anchor is their spouse, their soul's anchor is their children, or their soul's anchor is the stuff around them, their house and their possessions. But such anchors ultimately cannot hold. When the storm of a crisis or the storm of ultimately of death strikes the ship of their lives, there is only one anchor that can hold fast. And it's that of our gospel hope, grounded in God's promise. Christians are not protected from the storms of life. Christians will be buffeted by the storms of life, just like everyone else. Christians will go through hard times, times of pain, times of suffering. But the difference is this. We have an anchor which will hold fast and which will bring us through those hard times and bring us through death, ultimately to the new creation and into the very presence of God. In verse 19, we read that we have a hope, and I quote, that enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. It's speaking, of course, the most holy place in the temple in Jerusalem, the sanctuary where God's presence resided. And that is the Christian's final destiny, entering not the temple, but heaven, the very presence of God. And verse 20 says that Jesus has already gone there. Jesus is our forerunner. And one day, if we trust in him, we will follow where he has gone. How can we be sure? Because the hope we have is certain. It is guaranteed by an oath. An oath by God who cannot lie. So in conclusion, some people say, hope springs eternal. Maybe you've heard that saying. It's a phrase taken from Alexander Pope's essay on man. They say hope springs eternal in the human breast. What it means is that people continue to hope even when the evidence says it's hopeless. But Christian hope is different. Christian hope is not flying in the face of evidence. Christian hope is just taking God at his word and trusting his promise guaranteed by his oath. When you hear and when you think about God's promise made to you, don't think about those who have broken their promises to you. Think of Edwarda's mother and Edwarda's family. With God, a promise is a promise. And because of that, we have a hope which is sure and steadfast. It is an anchor for the soul. And this hope tells us it is worth it as a Christian. It's worth keep trusting Jesus. It's worth keep growing. And it's worth keep going as a Christian. You know what? Kerry Packer was wrong. We are going to find that there is something there after this life. And so we can fix our eyes with confidence on what God has promised his people in eternity. And we can be encouraged to keep anchoring our trust in Jesus now. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for keeping your promise. Thank you for sending Jesus the one who died for us, the one who was raised back to life, the one who has ascended to your side and is now in your presence.
Thank you that when we put our trust in Jesus, we know we will follow him into your presence and ultimately into the new creation. This world renewed, removed of all suffering and all pain and all death. Thank you for that sure and certain hope which acts as an anchor now to our souls and which will never slip and which will never give way. Please, therefore, help us to be patient. Help us to continue trusting Christ, to have faith in him and your promise to us to the very end of our lives. Amen.